Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to come together today and just, Lord, to, to be loved by you and to love one another, Lord, in, in the very love you have blessed us with. And Father, I pray that we would just have open hearts and open minds to receive your amazing written word. And Father, I trust that the soil of our hearts have been prepared to receive the very seed of your word. Speak to us today, Lord. Remind us the importance of us as believers, that we are to love others and show that love that you have given us. And so, Father, I decrease that you would increase. I empty myself of myself, so fill me with yourself. Everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me. We pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. If you have your Bibles, a Bible app, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to cover the whole chapter today. We're now in part 25 of our series, Undivided. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And as always, before we dive into the text, I want to do a quick review from last week's text, which was chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. And you might remember Paul gives the church some instruction about how to get along with each other using the illustration of the church being like a body. In verses 12 to 13, Paul tells us that we have been placed, say placed, come on, say placed, into the body of Christ. And he says this, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. So this is the event that places us in the body of Christ. At the moment of salvation, friends, the Holy Spirit enters our life, living in us, giving us new life. And what it does, it puts us into union with the person of Christ. Then in verses 14 through 24, Paul shows us the importance of knowing how we fit into this body. And what he does, he calls attention to our position, say position, in the body of Christ. That God has placed us in the body where he wants us to be. And the whole point of this section is to teach us that every member, no matter how insignificant, friends, their gift may appear, is essential, is vital, important to the proper operation of the entire body. Then in verses 25 to 27 Paul tells us about our purpose in the body of Christ, say purpose. And that is to promote unity, to practice mutual care, and to participate together. And then in verse 28, Paul gives us a list of spiritual gifts to teach us that God has made us, us, different. Yeah? Different. And that he has provided these differences for our benefit. And then after giving that list, in verses 29 through 30, Paul says, and this is what he says, are all prophets, are all, are all apostles, excuse me, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret. That's in the negative, and the obvious answer is what? No. It's no. Then Paul says, verse 31, now eagerly desire the greater or best gifts. And the greater or best gifts is the one God has given to you. God has given to you the one you discover and use to edify the whole body of Christ. And then Paul says this, and now I will show you the most what? Excellent what? Way. This brings us to today's text. The title of my message is the obvious, right? The most excellent way. Everyone say that. So in today's text, friends, in today's text, Paul, what he does, he explains what the most excellent way is. Now, now, this chapter is known as the love chapter. Everyone knows 
chapter 13 as the love chapter. In fact, a portion of this chapter is quoted in many weddings. It's kind of like the, the ultimate romantic fulfillment of what love is. And it's not wrong to quote uh, this at weddings, but in context, a context, this chapter has nothing to do with romantic, romantic love. In context, a context, it has everything to do with the way Christians treat those inside the church and treat those outside the church. In, in 1984, I'm dating myself here, okay? In 1984, Tina Turner had a hit song called, What's Love Got to Do With It? Well, in the Christian life, love has everything, say everything, to do with it. Why? Because love is the mark of the Christian life. The Christian life means absolutely nothing, nothing without love. Now, I want you to follow me here, and I want you to write these scriptures down. In Matthew 22, chapter 22, verses 37 through 39, Matthew 22, 37 to 39, when asked what is the greatest commandment, Jesus said this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Then he says this, the second is like it. You see, the second one flows from the first one. And if you get the first one right, the second one falls right into place. So he says this, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as what? Yourself. So in other words, love God, love others. Love God, love people. In John 13, 35, write that down. John chapter 13, verse 35 Jesus said this, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Do you get that? If you love one another. And Jesus makes it very clear, friends, that our love for one another is our greatest testimony to the world that we belong to him. Galatians, in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, Paul gives gives us a list of nine manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit. And first on the list is what? Love. Some, someone say love. Why love? Why love? Because, friends, all of the other eight manifestations are in outgrowth of love. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Now, I want to just say this. In today's culture, in today's culture, Christians are seen as narrow-minded, judgmental, and unloving in today's culture. So this is why it is absolutely, listen now, important for us to understand what Christian love is all about and also to display that love not only to our brothers and sisters in Christ, but also to the unsaved. D.L. Moody said this. He says, you can be a good doctor without loving your patients. You can be a good lawyer without loving your clients. You can be a good geologist without loving science, but you cannot be a good Christian without loving people. Love. Someone say love. Chapter 13 is a parenthesis between the preceding and following chapters, and Paul stops to show these Corinthians a more excellent way than spiritual gifts. It's a focus on love, not the gifts themselves. And you see, friends, the problem with the Corinthian believers was that they didn't understand the virtue of Christian love. 
And what they were doing was elevating themselves, and they thought that they were, listen now, more spiritual because they had a certain gift or certain gifts. And, and Paul, in his corrective measure, is simply saying, the very thing that God has given you, the very thing that God has blessed you with, you are using to separate yourselves. Now listen, Paul's not saying for them to do away with spiritual gifts. He's not saying that. Rather, friends, not to make the aim of their lives the seeking and using of spiritual gifts. The aim of their lives is to be what? Love. Someone say love. Now before we move on, I want to make sure we understand the kind of love that Paul is speaking about in the text because there are four kinds of love. And the first one is eros love. Just write that down, eros love. This is, has to do with physical attraction, physical intimacy, sexual kind of love. This is where we get the word erotic. So there's eros love. There's also store, storge love. Storge love, this, is, this kind of love you find in, in the family. And this, this love brings us a sense of, of belonging. We belong to a family. Then you have phileo, phileo love. This is friendship love, or we all can also, uh, it can also be rendered as brotherly love. This is why they call the, the city of Philadelphia the city of what? Brotherly love. So you have eros love, storge love, phileo love. And then you have agape love, or agapeo love. Agape love, this is the, the love that Paul is talking about here in the text. And this is God's love. Say God's love. It's God's divine love that truly sustains, that truly satisfies, that truly fulfills our lives. It's the only love that will last forever. And this kind of love is the nature of God. Love this. This kind of love is the nature of God himself and expresses his character, say character, and action towards us. Listen now, friends. Motivating, you got to get this, motivating us, you and I, motivating us to do the same toward others. This is agape love is the love that God commands from us. Now get this. This love is not based on whether the other person deserves it. Got it? But a love based on your choice. It's a love of choice. Your choice to place value on that other person. Now I want you to follow me here. This love is not based on a person's condition because it's an unconditional love. If you got it, say got it. This is the kind of love God commands, and this is the kind of love Paul defines in the text. And now that we've defined agape love, I want to tell you what loving others doesn't mean. It's not on your screen. Just write it down. Loving others doesn't mean you need to like them. Got that? Loving others doesn't mean, doesn't mean you need to like them. Let's be real. We're in church now. Let's be real. Okay? There are some people you don't like. Let's be real, right? There are some people I don't like. There are some folks that don't like you. Some folks don't like me. There are some folks that we don't like, but we are commanded to love them. Right? We are commanded to love them. So it doesn't mean, loving others doesn't mean you need to like them. Also, loving others doesn't mean there will never be disagreements. It doesn't mean there will never be disagreements. We're not going to always agree. In the church, we're not going to always agree. Now, we should always agree on the essentials, right? But we can disagree on the non-essentials. Okay, so we're, gonna, we're not going to always agree with each other, but we must what? Love each other. Loving others doesn't mean ignoring, got to get this, loving others doesn't mean ignoring sinful behavior. 
It doesn't mean ignoring sinful behavior. Some people think that loving someone means being soft on sin. That loving someone means never confronting someone when they're doing wrong. Now, I got a question for you. Did Jesus love people? Come on, did Jesus love people? Yes, and yet he confronted them, right? If you read the scriptures, Jesus confronted them about their sin. And he did it. Why did he do that? He did it because he loved them. And he wanted them to repent of their sin. He wanted them to get it right. Question, is God a God of love? Obviously, the answer is what? Say yes. Come on, say yes. Okay, but all of his attributes, got to get this, all of his attributes work in perfect harmony with each other, which means he also is holy. He also is holy. He also is just. And because he is, listen, holy, and because he is just, he cannot turn a blind eye to sin. Otherwise, he would not be holy. Otherwise, he would not be just. Now, I want to say this, and I want you to get this, okay? We can be loving, as Christians, we can be loving without approving or affirming someone's decisions or lifestyle. I'm going to say it again. We can be loving without approving or affirming someone's decisions or lifestyle. I need someone to agree with me. Someone say amen. Now, this chapter, today's chapter, is a literary masterpiece. I mean, what Paul writes here is amazing. I mean, this guy has just been led by the Spirit of God. It's the most beautiful expositions of what love is for Christians in the Bible. Three points from our text. If you ready, say yes. I can't hear you. Are you ready? Say yes. Yes. Number one, here we go, is the preeminence of love. The preeminence of love. Love, listen now, is preeminence to the gifts. In other words, it's above the way of spiritual gifts. It is higher, say higher, than the spiritual gifts. Now let's look at verse 1. Paul writes this, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, so what if I speak in every conceivable language and dialect and have the greatest prayer language and the best speech of heaven and earth, and whether the tongue of angels here is a cognitive language or a prayer language, it really doesn't matter. Why? Because without love, it's a bunch of hollow, empty, meaningless noise. Communication without love is a useless thing. This is why you never see anyone doing a gong or cymbal solo, right? You ever see someone just doing a, a cymbal? No. It's just a bunch of what? Noise. Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am what? Say it, Nothing. In other words, so what if I can prophesy? And so what if I can understand all the secret truths and mysteries and possess all the knowledge and have sufficient faith to make a mountain move? It really doesn't matter. Why? Because without love, I'm nothing. I am a useless nobody. Verse 3, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I what? Say it, gain nothing. In other words, so what if I give all that I own to the poor? So what if I do that? And surrender my body to the flames as a martyr for Christ. It really doesn't matter, Paul says. Why? Because without love, I gain nothing. 
You see, without love, you, you, you will find that your life is just noise, it's nothing, and that it profits you nothing. It's worthless. So here's a lesson. We always have a lesson. Here's a lesson. I, I'm, I'm bankrupt without love. I'm bankrupt without love. Write that down. I'm bankrupt without love. It doesn't matter what I say. It really doesn't matter what I believe. It doesn't matter what I do. Without love, I'm bankrupt. Got it? So he first shows us the preeminence of love. It's above the way of spiritual gifts, higher than spiritual gifts. Number two is the properties, the properties of love. This is the characteristics or the qualities, we can say, the qualities of true Christ-like, godly love. And here, Paul, he gives us an in-depth description of love. He reveals all of its characteristics. And I want you to notice this. Paul first begins by telling us what love is. Okay, look at verse 4. Love is what? Patient. Love is patient. In other words, it's slow to anger. It takes a long time to boil. It displays a calm willingness to tolerate someone who is irritating you. It means you think before you speak. And it means that you avoid arguing. It means you're willing to put up with those who aren't so pleasant or with those who have failed to do what you expected them to do. It means to put up with those who do not respond or think appropriately. He says love is patient. He also says love is what? Kind. Say kind. In the Greek, the word kind or kindness is the word krestos. Krestos, it means, and it relates to tender concern for others. It's the genuine desire to treat others just as God treats us. It doesn't ignore, it doesn't neglect or, or withdraw. It, doesn't, it does whatever it can. Listen now, it does whatever it can to bless and help others. It's kind. It's what we call love in action. Say love in action. And I want you to write this down. 1 John 3.18. 1 John 3.18. Again, 1 John 3.18. And John writes this, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Okay, don't just say it. Do something about it. Kindness, love, in action. Someone put it this way. Kindness is the language which the deaf can hear and the blind can read. I love that. So Paul begins by telling us what love is. Then notice, Paul then tells us what love does not do. What love does not do. Follow me. It does not envy. Did you get that? It does not envy. In other words, love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Did you get that? If you got it, say amen. True agape, okay? Agapeo, love doesn't envy the successes, the abilities, the appearances, or even the blessings of others. It's not envious or jealous. It does not envy, again, oh, let's move down. It does not boast. It does not boast. No, it does not strut. It doesn't strut. It doesn't parade itself. When you love, listen, when you love with God's love, you learn to boast in Him rather than yourself. I want you to write this down, Psalm 34, 2. Psalm chapter 34, verse 2 says, My soul, I love this, my soul will boast in the Lord. Did you get that? Psalm 44, 8. Psalm 44, 8 says this. In God we make our boast all day long. How cool is that? We will praise your name 
forever. Chapter 1, verse 31 of this, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31, therefore it is written, let him who boasts, boast in who? The, the Lord. Got it? Love doesn't boast about self. It boasts about God. Listen, you let others, you let others boast about you, okay? You let others brag on you. You don't brag about yourself or boast about yourself. You let others do that, right? Proverbs 27.2 says this. You got to love this one. Proverbs 27.2 says, let another man praise you. Got it? And not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. It does not boast. Then he says, it is not proud. It is not proud. It's not inflated with its own importance. Pride is the only disease that makes everyone sick except the one who has it. Right? So here's the lesson when it comes to being proud is humility. Humility, write that down. It's being humble. Humility. James 4.10 says this, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will what? Lift you up. Humility, say that, say that. Humility is a secret of being used by God and letting God, letting him work through us and not drawing attention to ourselves. Then he says this, verse five, it is not rude. <laughs> Did you get that? It is not rude. It, get this, it doesn't behave gracelessly. There's that word, it doesn't behave gracelessly. The King James says, love doth not behave itself unseemly. The word deals with etiquette. And the literal translation, literal translation would be, love is not without shape. I want you to get that. Love is not without shape. It's not without shape. Listen, it's important how something is said as well as what is said. Did you get that? And you see, a person under the influence of God's love doesn't go around flying at the mouth in a blunt, rude, insensitive, graceless way. The person who loves with God's love is not without shape. Did you get it? It's not without shape. There, there is plenty of shape to what he or she says and does. So follow me here. God's love is concerned. Get this now. God's love is concerned about the way words are communicated to others as well as what is communicated. There should be courtesy, tact, and politeness. Listen, laughing at a time, laughing at a time of sorrow, rebuking when there's a real need for encouragement, shouting, shouting, rather than talking, all these are responses without shape. Get it? Without shape. They are rude because they lack love. Now, I want to tell you something. There is nothing worse. Listen now. Look at me. There is nothing worse than a rude Christian. Would you agree? There is nothing worse than a rude Christian. The most loving, grace-filled, graceful people on the face of this earth should be Christians. Amen? Not rude, but loving. Not rude, but graceful and grace-filled. There's nothing worse than a, a rude Christian. Then he says, it's not self-seeking. In other words, it's not all about me. 
It doesn't seek its own. It doesn't build a kingdom to the honor of oneself. Listen, friends, I want you to get this. It's never the habit of God, never the habit of God's love to be seeking things that pertain to oneself. Never. And when you love with God's love, you, listen, you reach out to the needs of others. You express a willingness and desire to help. Why? Why? Because God's love is always, always interested in the burdens and the needs of others. That's his love. So what's the lesson? Well, we've had this lesson many times in this series. Are you ready? Be others focused. Be others focused, not self-focused. Be others focused. This is what we call unselfish love. It's agape love, agapeo love. It's, it's God's love, the love that God commands, that, that we would be others focused. Now, I want you to write this down. You might remember, you might know this by heart, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. And what this does, this, this, this portion of Scripture captures the essence of unselfish love. And Paul writes this, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Then he says this, Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Hmm. Let me tell you something, okay? Listen. You are going to have major problems in life. You're going to have major problems in your relationships if everything just revolves around you. And by the way, a man or woman who is wrapped up in themselves is a small package. Okay? Then he says, it is not easily angered. Whoa. Okay, it doesn't fly off the handle. It's not made sharp by others. In other words, it doesn't get bitter or lose its temper by the reactions or attacks of others. I want you to write this down. 1 Peter chapter 2, 21 through 23. 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23. You don't mind if we give, if we give scripture, right? <laughs> Peter writes this. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And then he says this. He, speaking of Jesus, committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. Wow. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Did you get, if you got that, say, say Amen. Okay? In other words, love, love, agape love never retaliates. Agape love never seeks revenge. It doesn't. And then he says this, because this, this kind of like flows one into the other. He says, it keeps no record of wrongs. Man. God, oh, Paul, come on, man, really? It keeps no record of wrongs. In other words, it doesn't keep score of the sins of others. The King James says, love thinks no evil. Love thinks no evil. In the modern Greek, the word thinks refers to an accountant. An accountant, and it means to calculate. So I want you to follow me here. God's love doesn't spend time calculating how to get even or how to get revenge from those who hurt you. God's love refuses to dwell on it. Now, I understand, I get it. Hey, I get it. It is difficult at times to forgive others, let alone to forget it. 
But we must forgive and we must forget. Well, how do you do that? How do you do that, pastor? How do you do that? Well, by not holding what they did to you against them anymore. You let it go. You you refuse to rehearse it. You see, agape love doesn't rehearse the hurt. It releases the hurt. And the problem is this, friends. Instead of releasing the hurts, we take them. We take all these hurts in our lives. We take them, and then we put them in our little nest. And then what we do, we, we nurse them, and we keep them nice and warm. And when they hatch, we throw them right back at the person who hurt us. We attack with the past. Did you know that the Word of God, and I love the Word of God, right, gives us a list of things to think or to calculate about? Did you know that? Prove it. I will. Philippians 4.8. Philippians 4.8. Paul writes, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think. Say think. In other words, calculate about such things. We need to fix, as believers, we need to fix our minds on good things, not the wrong things done to us. Listen, listen, brothers and sisters, don't keep track of the number of times you've been offended. Rather, keep track of the number of times you've been blessed. Amen? Now, if you're safe, say amen. Listen, if, you, if, you, if you're finding it difficult, if you're finding it difficult to love that person who hurt you, or that spouse who betrayed you, or that that friend or parent who abandoned you, or that business or employer who cheated you, you need to remember that you're commanded to love. Oh, but 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 they hurt me, Pastor. You, you don't get it. You don't understand. You're commanded to love. And you see, with that command to love, you got to get this. With that command to love, Christ has also given you the power to love through his Holy Spirit. Amen? Listen, whatever God calls you or commands you to do, he always gives you the power to do it. Amen? So don't say, oh, I can't love them. No, yes, you can. If you're a believer, yes, you can. You just don't want to. Verse 6, love does not delight in what? In evil. In other words, it's, 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 listen, listen, it doesn't rejoice, or it's not thrilled, excuse me, it's not thrilled with impure things. It doesn't delight at injustice and unrighteousness. It does not rejoice in sin, in its own sin or in the sin of others. Love hates sin. Listen, friends, if you're saved, say amen. We need to love what God loves and hate what God hates. Right? Love hates sin. Now, what Paul then does, he, Paul then tells us what love does. Let's read on. But rejoices with the truth. While love hates all forms of evil, it loves the truth. It's thrilled. Say thrilled. When someone speaks the truth, no matter how hard it might be to hear it at times. It rejoices when right and truth prevail. Because he's the God of truth. Amen? Verse 7, it always protects. Your Bibles might render it as bears all things. 
The word bear means, or literally means, to cover or to pass over in silence to keep confidential. In other words, friends, love doesn't broadcast the faults of its objects. It keeps them confidential. Then he says, always trust. Your Bibles might render it as believes all things. And this doesn't mean that love is gullible. Got it? it doesn't mean this, this love is gullible. Rather, it's beyond suspicion, it's beyond doubt, and beyond mistrust. Agape love, in other words, eliminates a third degree. Got it? It's giving the other person the benefit of the doubt. It's eager to believe the best, the best for someone. Then he says, always hopes, or also hopes all things. In other words, it always holds out hope that things will work out right in the end. It doesn't lose hope for those it loves. Got it? It doesn't lose hope for those it loves. Then he says, always perseveres, or it might be rendered as endures all things. In the Greek, the word perseverance is hupomone. Hupomone it's endurance, steadfastness, patience. It, it literally means the ability to stay under pressure, to hang on, to never give up. It's a military term, and what it means, it means that love does not give up the fort. It stands its ground and continues in spite, continues in spite of everything that can be thrown against it. So here's the lesson. Are you ready for this? The lesson is this. Love doesn't run away. Love doesn't run away. It doesn't. Let's be honest. Hey, we're in church, right? Right? Come on, we're in church. I need, I, you need to be with me here. We're in church, right? Okay? Let's be honest. Sometimes we want to we run away from difficulties in life, difficult situations, don't we? But love learns to endure the difficulty. And what it does, it remains under the tough times, okay? You don't recede. You don't recede you, and you don't run. You hold fast. And you hold fast, listen now, to your faith in Christ. This love, this love, agape love, agapeo love, bears the unbearable, believes the impossible, and it holds on, and it never gives up. I don't know what your situation is right now. It could be a financial, relational, spiritual, vocational, I don't know. But don't give up. Amen? Love never gives up. There's probably someone in your life right now who you're praying for. Don't give up. You keep praying. Love bears the unbearable, believes the impossible, believes the impossible, and holds on. And never, say never. I'm going to say never. Gives up. The preeminence of love, the priorities of love, and number three is the permanence. The permanence of love. If you're still with me, say Amen. The permanence of love. And this, we're going to look at verses 8 through 12 here. 8 through 12. And Paul says, love never fails. This love, this agape love, this, this, this love that God commands, it what? Never. Say never. Love never fails. It never fades out. It never becomes obsolete. It never ends. Don't you love that? Then he says this. He says, love never fails, right? But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Verse 9. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. Verse 10. But, and I want you to get verse 10 now, okay? 
But when perfection comes, underline that, highlight that, circle that. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. I'm going to read that again. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. Notice what he says. After he says that, he says this. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, say man, I put childish ways behind me. Verse 12. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see what? Face to face. Then he says this. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. So Paul's kind of like this. After all that he said, you know, you think your gifts, he's telling the Corinthian believers, you think that your gifts make you mature, you think you're all that because you have these gifts. Well, guess what? There's going to be time and come a time when those gifts are going to cease. So this begs the question, right? This begs the question, when do gifts cease? Well, he tells us. Go back to verse 10. It's when the perfect comes. It's when the perfect comes. So the theological question, the theological question is, what, who, or when is the perfect? Well, there's two thoughts. Okay, there's two thoughts. The first thought is this. Some believe the perfect refers to the completion of the New Testament, okay? And now that we have the canon, the canon of the New Testament, that the canon shut, there's no need for spiritual gifts to operate. These are what we call cessationists. They, they believe they, they, that the gifts have ceased and say, cessationists. I, I don't believe... The Bible supports that. Okay, now we can disagree on this, but I don't believe the Bible supports that God no longer works supernaturally through his people in their spiritual giftedness. The second thought is this. The perfect refers to the return of Jesus Christ. This is what I believe. And I am of the opinion and believe that the gifts are operable today. Listen now, operable today as, get this now, as defined, defined, by the scriptures, and that these gifts will cease when Jesus returns. So how did I come to that conclusion? Well, back to verse 10. But when the perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. This is the phrase that determines when spiritual gifts like prophecy and tongues and knowledge will cease to function. I want you to follow me here. These, these spiritual gifts are the partial, they are the partial that will be replaced by the perfect. Well, what's the perfect? What's the perfect thing that eliminates the need for the partial things? Well, we get our answer from the context, verses 11 and 12. It's related to a child becoming what? A man, right? It's related to seeing face-to-face. It's related to knowing fully, okay? These are all things, listen now, that happen when Jesus returns for us. And we're in his presence, and we will be fully mature. Then Paul adds this in verse 13. And now these three remain. Faith, hope. Come on, say it with me. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Love. Faith. Faith simply means trust. Right? Well, I have faith. I, in other words, I, I trust. So faith, the trust that Jesus Christ, right? We have faith, the trust that Jesus Christ is going to return one day. Right? And if we are dead, 
in the grave, we will rise up first. If we are alive, we'll be caught up in the air. We, we have faith that one day he's going to what? Return, right? One day that will be fully realized. One day that will be fulfilled. Hope, say hope. But what's our blessed hope? That we will see Jesus face to face. That's our blessed hope, where we will be with him for all of eternity. One day, that hope will be realized. One day, that hope will be fulfilled. There will be no more need for faith or hope or even gifts. But love, say love. But love, love just keeps going. When everything else, listen, when everything else in this world has passed away, love will still exist. It's the greatest constant throughout eternity because God's love never fails. God's love never ends. It's the greatest. And we are going to be loving each other and loving God and being loved by him for all of eternity. That's why love is the most excellent way. Amen? Let's praise him for that. Let's all stand.